You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. African power generator has been targeted by ransomware. The APT31 group is believed to be responsible for attacks on industrial systems in Eastern Europe. There have been arrests related to the takedown of Lolek Hosted. Ukraine's SBU has alleged that Russia's GRU is using specialized malware to attack Starlink. Microsoft has decided not to extend licenses for its products in Russia. Rick Howard opens his toolbox on DDoS. In our solution spotlight, Simone Petrella and Camille Stewart-Gloster discuss the White House release of its cybersecurity workforce and education strategy. And the Cyber Safety Review Board will be investigating cases of cyber espionage against exchange. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Monday, August 14th, 2023. Kaspersky has issued a warning regarding the emergence of a fresh iteration of the System BC malware. This new version has reportedly been utilized in an assault on a critical infrastructure power generator situated within an undisclosed African nation. According to Kaspersky's analysis, an unidentified threat actor directed their attention toward an electric utility in southern Africa. The attack involved the deployment of cobalt strike beacons and Droxydat, which represents a novel variant of the System BC payload. Kaspersky's experts speculate that the incident might have been in the preliminary stages of a ransomware operation. The timing of the attack places it within the third and fourth weeks of March 2023, coinciding with a limited series of assaults worldwide, in which both Droxydat and Cobalt Strike beacons played a role. Droxydat, described as a compact variant of System BC with a size of approximately 8 kilobytes, operates as a system profiler and a relatively uncomplicated SOX-5 capable bot. The presence of Droxydat was detected within the infrastructure of the targeted electric utility. The command and control infrastructure implicated in this incident was associated with a domain named powersupportplan.com, 
a domain with energy-related connotations. This domain was found to resolve to an IP host that had already raised suspicions in previous contexts. Kaspersky offered tentative attribution of the incident to a Russian-speaking cybercriminal gang, specifically to FIN-12, which has also been called Pistachio Tempest. FIN-12 has hitherto been known for attacks against the healthcare sector. In May of 2022, it was one of the gangs prominently featured in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services report, Ransomware Trends in the HPH Sector. FIN-12 has changed its target selection, but not its playbook. The group's motivation is financial. Some news reports have said the incident occurred in South Africa, but that's incorrect. It took place in an unidentified country in the southern part of the African continent. Earlier last week, another report from Kaspersky found that APT-31, also known as Judgment Panda or Zirconium, is targeting industrial systems in Eastern Europe. The researchers state, the attackers aimed to establish a permanent channel for data exfiltration, including data stored on air-gapped systems. In total, we have identified over 15 implants and their variants planted by the threat actors in various combinations. Kaspersky notes that the attacker's architecture allows the threat actor to change the execution flow by replacing a single module in the chain. APT-31 is generally regarded as an intelligence operation of the Chinese government. Much of its activity has involved industrial espionage, but the group has also been implicated in collection of political intelligence. A joint Polish-U.S. operation brought down the Lolek-hosted bulletproof hosting provider last week, the record reports. The U.S. FBI and the IRS were joined in the action by the Regional Prosecutor's Office in Katowice and the Central Bureau for Combating Cybercrime in Krakow. Europol announced the arrests of five administrators of the service in Poland. Lolek Hosted was a player in the criminal-to-criminal marketplace. The Telegraph reports that Ukraine's state security service has claimed that Russia's GRU is attempting to deploy malware against the Starlink satellite communication system with a view to collecting data on Ukrainian troop movements. There's little else out on this story, but we'll be following it closely for any developments. Workers at Russia's Ministry of Digital Development are no longer permitted to use either iPhones or iPads for work purposes. The responsible minister announced the order Friday, Reuters reports. Personnel at the ministry will still be permitted to use iPhones for personal needs, but they're henceforth prohibited from using them for work email or for accessing work applications. The ban is generally believed to have been prompted by an FSB report in June that Apple devices had been compromised by the U.S. NSA, probably with Apple's connivance. Apple has denied both the compromise and its alleged cooperation in undercutting its own security. If iOS devices represent the security risk the FSB says they do, a partial ban seems a curious response. Microsoft stopped sales to Russia when Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022. It did continue to license products that had been purchased before the invasion. Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty reports that Microsoft has now served notice that such licenses will not be renewed after September 30th. Active licenses will run through their expiration dates and then will terminate. 
This decision will further isolate the Russian IT sector from the global supply chain, and Russia's IT sector is far from self-sufficient. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Cyber Safety Review Board, the CSRB, has announced that its third investigation will focus on approaches government, industry, and cloud service providers should employ to strengthen identity management and authentication in the cloud. The board stated, The CSRB will assess the recent Microsoft Exchange online intrusion, initially reported in July 2023, and conduct a broader review of issues related to cloud-based identity and authentication infrastructure affecting applicable CSPs and their customers. The department began considering whether this incident would be an appropriate subject of the board's next review immediately upon learning of the incident in July. The board will develop actionable recommendations that will advance cybersecurity practices for both cloud computing customers and CSPs themselves. The investigation will represent the third such inquiry in the CSRB's history. The first report covered Log4j, the second looked into the Lapsus Group. Microsoft characterized the incident as a case of cyber espionage, and it attributed the operation to a Chinese-associated group it tracks as Storm 0558. The group typically gained access to email accounts via stolen credentials. The CSRB, a relatively young organization chartered in September 2021 as directed by executive order, is neither a regulatory nor an enforcement agency. Like the National Transportation Safety Board on which it was modeled, the CSRB investigates important incidents with a view to identify relevant lessons learned to inform future improvements and better protect our communities. Coming up after the break, Rick Howard opens his toolbox on DDoS. In our Solution Spotlight, Simone Petrella and Camille Stewart-Gloucester discuss the White House release of its cybersecurity workforce and education strategy. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. 
You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Camille Stewart-Gloster is Deputy National Cyber Director for Technology and Ecosystem Security in the Office of the National Cyber Director in the White House. In this edition of our Solutions Spotlight, she speaks with N2K President Simone Petrella. I am joined today by Camille Stewart-Gloster, Deputy National Cyber Director for Technology and Ecosystem at the White House. In her role, Camille leads technology, supply chain, data security, and cyber workforce and education efforts for the Office of the National Cyber Director and led the team that recently released the National Cyber Workforce and Education Strategy last week. Camille, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Simone. I'm excited to talk about the strategy. Great. Me too. It's a certainly an area I love to talk about all the time. Um, so I think we're going to have a great discussion here. You know, just to sort of set the stage before we really get into the meat of it, the the strategy that just was released really is built around four pillars. And those are equipping every American with foundational cyber skills, transforming cyber education, expand enhancing the national cyber workforce, and strengthening the federal cyber workforce. That's a lot of ground that's covered um, across those pillars in this strategy. What are the big takeaways that you want the industry to walk away with as they review this very hefty document. It is a big document, a big ambitious document that has a series of short-term, medium-term, and long-term objectives. I want folks to take away from this is that the work builds on itself. And if there's one thing I hope people have started to see from ONCD is that we really want to make sure that the work that we are doing is collaborative and considerate of all of the important perspectives that are represented across the digital ecosystem. If the national cybersecurity strategy is to work, That means we are moving towards an affirmative vision for the digital ecosystem. That means one that is resilient, defensible, and aligns to our values. And there's some shifts that we talk about in that. And if we achieve that, that means that we're going to have products that are secure by design, which means we need a workforce that is capable of understanding security no matter where in the life cycle of a piece of technology. And so across those four pillars, we look at three imperatives. First, like, how do we get everybody to the table? Because we do have a deficit. So we need more people to be doing this work, but not just more people, more people of different backgrounds. The second is skills. We need a skills-focused workforce. We need uh, the ability to gain lifelong skills. And that starts with the foundational cyber skill for every American that you kind of talked about. Right now, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic are what people picture as the foundational things that you need to operate in society. And then the last imperative is really focused on building ecosystems because we have found through all of that engagement that I talked about that ecosystems, regional, local, that can really tailor to the needs of a community, but also create these networks of feedback that can help inform how training happens, how education happens, how employers find their workforce are really vital to a thriving cyber workforce. That was kind of a lot, but 
I think those three imperatives are really honing in on that and the fact that all of those things needing to address the entire ecosystem of players and the four pillars, but also those three things came from you all, came from everyone who engaged on this strategy. Yeah, no, it makes a complete sense. And, you know, having been in this space so long myself, just one of the many challenges is there are so many stakeholders, you know, thinking about who you reached out to. It is a very robust and rich community. What do you see as one of the things or a number of the things that are critical to the success of this strategy? Everyone taking ownership of the implementation of the strategy. So what I hope is every person, every organization, every institution that picks up this document recognizes that the federal government has the smallest piece of implementing this strategy. We can provide funding, we can work on the federal workforce, and that work has begun. That work started August 9th in Nevada at UNLV, University of Las Vegas, where we had our director, Kemba Walden, really launch a collaborative effort with academia, private sector, and a number of others to have a conversation about what a cyber workforce ecosystem looks like there, what their needs are, how the state and local governments can continue to support them so that folks can get into the good paying jobs that are in the cyber workforce. I love that you say that because it's so incumbent on the industry, whether it's academia or employers to kind of step up and take responsibility So I want to go back to the concepts of ecosystems that you brought up because it's also something that is something I feel very passionate about, which is, you know, we have so many stakeholders in play when we talk about cyber workforce. What is the White House's role going to be bringing these stakeholders together given the vastness of the industry and just how many providers there are in a space? Yeah, I mean, we are conveners. We Our goal is to pull folks together to help with resource sharing and to catalyze action. What I don't want to be is a bottleneck. So I want organizations, I want regions, I want locales to feel empowered to go do this work with or without my or the office's involvement. But where we can support, where we can bring organizations together, where we can help spark a cyber workforce ecosystem, I want to do that as well. Our goal is that those more robust ecosystems will be a model for their counter, for their peers. How do we extract the best practices and the lessons learned so that they can be adapted to different environments? They all won't look the same because they don't need to. That's why there are local, regional, and quite frankly, even international ecosystems so that they are tailored to the outcomes, the communities, the you know groups and organizations that are part of it, there needs to be that flexibility and responsiveness to all of those factors. But we want to help bring folks together. So that'll be my goal, the convening. Well, and let this be a, a PSA to everyone listening that if you haven't picked up the strategy already and read it, you need to. So a lot of exciting things in store. Last question, certainly not least though, on a personal note, having been doing this for the last, you know, year plus now and coordinating and herding all these cats, what's the one area of the strategy that you're the most excited or proud of? So I think to start, it's the look across the entire environment, right? 
most strategies that you see focus on the national cyber workforce, focus on federal, but coming together and thinking about how do we equip every American? How does that feed into their access and opportunity such that they become part of the cyber workforce? And then how do we look at the entire national cyber workforce, including the federal workforce and and our international partners and how they feed into our understanding of what our best practices, but also how we share that so that we're all thriving and getting the, the workforce that we need. I think that holistic view and being able to set an affirmative vision around that is the thing I'm most proud of. Camille, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your insights. Really appreciate all of your, your support and putting out this strategy and getting it going and best of luck as you hit the road with it. That's Simone Petrella speaking with Camille Stewart-Gloucester, Deputy National Cyber Director for Technology and Ecosystem Security in the Office of the National Cyber Director in the White House. It is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer and also our chief analyst. Rick, great to have you back. Hey, Dave. So on this week's CSO Perspectives podcast, this is a Rick the Toolman episode, and I know you are focusing on DDoS prevention. First of all, I have to say I love the Rick the Toolman episodes. I'm a big fan of the old 1990s sitcom that you base it on. Of course, I'm talking about Home Improvement starring Tim Allen. Yeah, I am too. I love that show. In fact, David, you're going to love this. I just recently watched his early 1980s stand-up routines, and they, mm. they were the precursor to the Home Improvement Show. You can watch them on YouTube for free, and they are laugh-out-loud funny, all right? I just love that <laughs> stuff. His yeah. stick that men are Neanderthals and obsess over tools, I don't know, it appeals to me at some base level, and, you know, I love it. So we are absolutely stealing his routine on these Rick the Toolman episodes. Well, as I say to my wife all the time, every home improvement project is an opportunity to buy a new tool. And <laughs> I, make, I make good use of that. She's the Amazon boxes show up on the front porch and she just shakes her head ruefully at me yeah. and says, <sighs> yeah, the, the neighbors say, oh, the Bittners are doing some construction. That's, what's That's right. On. What's all that noise? <laughs> That's what's all that noise. And it's just me yelling and screaming and, you know, smashing my thumb with hammers and things. So as we were saying, this week you were talking about DDoS prevention. So what's on tap for us? Yeah, so DDoS stands for Distributed Denial of Service, and it's a strategy that hackers use to deny their victims access to key digital resources on the Internet. And they basically come in three forms, like uh, volumetric to generate massive volumes of network traffic designed to completely saturate the victim's bandwidth. We got the protocol strategy kind of designed to eat up the processing capacity of network infrastructure resources, you know, like servers, firewalls, and load balancers. This is at layer three and layer four of the TCP IP stack. And finally, we have the application layer by initiating transaction requests that consume finite resources like memory. But for me, though, it's been a minute since I looked at the latest developments in DDoS prevention technology. So for this Rick the Toolman episode, we take a look at the latest developments in DDoS prevention and the hackers' motivations of using DDoS tools to accomplish some goal. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting point you make about DDoS. And, you know, in our 
uh, on the daily podcast, particularly it strikes me when we're talking about the situation going on in Ukraine that we talk about DDoS as if it's a nuisance level attack. Yeah, and, yeah. and it can be, but I think one of the things you're going to dig into here, it can be more than that as well. The bottom line here is that we have the technology that can make this work, you know, a prevention against DDoS attacks, but you have to prepare for it. So that's one thing. Yeah. The second thing is that it can be used for lots of different purposes uh, by hackers, right? You, you can use it for a ransomware idea, pay us, or, or we're going to keep doing this DDoS attack against you. But what the, our guests were talking about was uh, some most times that they're seeing these days is a hacker will launch a DDoS attack over here on the right side so they can do the, you know, the cyber espionage stuff over on the left. They get you ah. looking right so you can move in left. So all that's very interesting. Yeah, a little misdirection. All right. Well, we will look forward to that. That is CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I join Jason and Brian on their show for the lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. 
cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.